If you guys have your Bible, turn in the Gospel of John to chapter 16 in that book. Today we're reading from John chapter 16, verses 23 through 28. I'm using a New American Standard Version. As you know, we have probably been working our way through the Gospel of John for a long period of time now, probably for over a year. I need to go back and actually count how many weeks we've been in John. Uh, But today we're reading from verses 23 through 28. And he's beginning, Jesus is beginning to close out uh, the upper room discourse and the final instructions to his disciples before he departs. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Verse 23 and 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, in Proverbs, literally. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in Proverbs, figurative language. But will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came forth from him. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father himself. Amen. Thank you. But before I dive in, so to speak, I would like to just ask you a question. Do you believe, or does prayer really make any difference whatsoever? Yes or no? Let's get a little bit more personal. Do you, here today, believe that prayer makes a difference? I'm glad to hear that. It's kind of like Sunday school, you know, when you have a question by your Sunday school teacher, I realized in the fifth grade that every answer to every question was either the Bible or Jesus. But if, if you, I really came up to you with a camera and with a microphone and I asked you that question, does prayer really make a difference? Deep down behind the wall that we show people to, to the real human being that we are, what would really be our answer? Does prayer really make any difference at all? To me personally, this question kind of came to me as a ton of bricks because I would just be like you. I would say, of course, yes, because I understand that spiritually, I understand that biblically, I understand it theoretically, but pragmatically, real life, this prayer, do I, this guy up here, do I really believe that prayer makes a difference? Today we look at prayer. Today, Jesus comes before his disciples and he tells them to ask of the Father. He tells them to pray to the Father himself. And we see in our text today, we see the difference that prayer actually makes. So this week, as I was unpacking, I was just unpacking the treasures of prayer that we have. So if you have your text, if you haven't flipped already, turn to John chapter 16. Today I want to do something a little bit different. I usually prepare my sermons uh, inductively where I have a question and then I have an answer and an answer and answer. But today, I want to accrue my point. I want to build it as I go. And why? It's because Jesus, essentially, in John chapter 16, verses 23 through 28, he builds the truth centered around prayer to his disciples. So today, I'm going to unpack, as Jesus unpacks, verses 23 through 38, and accrue my point as I go. And the question I really want to answer today is, why pray? Or or what happens when we pray? To really answer this question, let us kind of remember where we are in the context of the Gospel of John. This week I was 
just kind of meditating on the Gospel of John. I've been in that book for a long time, and, and, and I kind of came up with a new outline, so to speak. Now, what kind of strange nerd comes up with an outline of an entire book of the Bible in their spare time? This guy does. Okay. But I see kind of two different outlines in the Gospel of John. I see the, the chronological outline, which I've shared with you many times, but then I also see a thematic outline. What is the chronological outline of the Gospel of John? You have eternity past, right? John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, that is also known as the prologue. And then you have three years, John chapter 1, verse 19, through the end of John chapter 12 is three years. And then you have John 13, through the end of the book is three weeks. Those are kind of the rough edges that kind of help us understand where we are in the story of the Gospel of John. But then this week, I came up with a new one, like I said, I came up with a thematic one. Go with me on this. What is the theme? What is the purpose? Why was the Gospel of John written? If you don't have this Bible verse highlighted yet circled, I would encourage you to do so. John chapter 20 verse 31 is the purpose for the Gospel of John. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in Him, you may have life in His name. Why did John write this book? Is to prove that Jesus is the Christ, that Christ is not Jesus' last name, but that is a designation meaning that Jesus is the Messiah, to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing in Him, you may have life in His name. So take this verse with me and go with me on this and, and realize the outline of the Gospel of John through this one verse. The prologue, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, is proving that Jesus, or is saying that Jesus is the Son of God and the Christ. John chapter 1, verse 19 through the end of John chapter 4 is that Jesus is the Christ. John chapter 5, verse through 12 is Jesus is the Son of God. Let me just repeat all this because I'm going fast. I'm amped up this morning. I had about four cups of coffee. So, anyways, I'll repeat this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is that Jesus is the Son of God and the Christ. John chapter 1, verse 19 through the end of John chapter 4 is that Jesus is the Christ. John chapter 5 through 12 is that Jesus is the Son of God. John chapter 13 through 16 is Jesus' instructions to Christ followers. And then in John chapter 17 through the end of the book is Jesus' fulfillment as the Christ and the Son of God. So with that framework in mind, with the guardrails that we have through this outline, where are we when we step into John chapter 16? Jesus is giving instruction to his disciples, to his followers, to the 11 that are still there. Judas, if you remember where we are in the upper room discourse, Judas has already exited stage left. He's already decided to turn in the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver or modern day $1,000. He, in a sense, is the only smart one in the bunch because he finally, he's the first one to really realize what's happening in the kingdom of God and the plan of the Lord. And so when we walk into John chapter 13 through 16, where are we? Jesus is providing his disciples with instructions for how they live beyond the resurrection. What has he already told them in the upper room? He has told them to love one another, to abide in Christ, to serve one another, to hope in Christ's return, to wait and depend on the Spirit, to be joyful and to bear fruit. Specifically in John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, if you could put that text in a word, what is Jesus teaching his disciples? He's teaching them about persecution. How do they overcome persecution? By remembering what is to come so that they will not 
lose heart. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. That section is next. What does Jesus teach his disciples? He teaches them about the Spirit of God. And what does the Spirit of God do? When he comes, when his arrival is... On the day of Pentecost, what happens? He brings comfort to the hurting, he brings conviction to the world of sin, and he brings clarity to believers. Then in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22, what does Jesus teach the disciples about? He teaches them about terror, he teaches them about joy. And how do they have joy? By remembering that Jesus will resurrect from the dead. I'm going to say, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. That if Jesus did not rise from the dead, let us go home and pack our bags and the show is over. But since he reigns and since he lives, let us be joyful. Let us be marked as people who are joy. We are joyful because Jesus has resurrected. Because all suffering is temporary. John chapter 16 verses 20 through 21 in that we are joyful because the Savior will come again. And I hope it is soon. Can I get an amen? Let us just pray that 2022 is not the same as the last two years. Goodness gracious, the world is on fire. But let us begin this section of Scripture, John chapter 16, verses 23 through 28. I want you to notice with me verse 23. I want you to notice the most important phrase in this whole passage. It says this, In that day you will not question me about Anything. I want you to just notice that very first phrase in verse 23, in that day. What is he referring to? This phrase, in a sense, is kind of unlocks the meaning of this passage. In, in that day, if you remember, it links us back to John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. And what it does is it correlates. It tells me, the preacher, and you today, that the two passages are related. That John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22, is somehow related to John chapter 16, verses 23 through 33, in that day. What does it bring us back to? John chapter 16, verse 16, we talked about this verse a long time last week. It says this, in a little while you will no longer see me, and again in a little while you will see me. What is he referring to that? In a little while he will, you will not see me, that he will be crucified, and then in a little while you will see me again. Why? Because he resurrects from the dead. We talked about kind of what that, the kind of the different interpretations, but in the day that they see him again on the Easter morning, what will happen? Verse 23. In that day, the day that you will see me again, the day that I will be with you for a month, and the day that I ascend in that period of time, verse 23, in that day, you will no longer question me about anything. In the original language here, verse 23, it is very bad English, so to speak. John, or Jesus here specifically, uses a double negative. It literally says, in that day, you will not ask me not one thing. That is super confusing for us in English speakers. But Jesus is emphasizing that when he resurrects from the dead, that they will no longer ask him not one thing. Okay, what is he talking about? Is he talking about they will not, they will ask him no question, or they will ask him for nothing? That's really the question here. The disciples, when he rises from the dead, will they ask him not one question, or will they ask him for nothing? One scholar adds this, on that day when Jesus is raised from the dead, his disciples will have the assurance of his abiding presence through the Spirit, then they will not ask Jesus for anything, rather they will address their requests directly to the Father through the name of the Spirit. What did I just say? Let me just rephrase that. Scholars. On Easter morning, 
the disciples will no longer approach Jesus in the flesh to make requests. Rather, from then on, they will pray directly to the Father through the provision of the Son and the prompting of the Spirit. And I want to talk about that here in just a second, a bit more. But I want you to notice in verse 23, as we continue to go in that day, in the day that he resurrects, and from then on, they will approach the Father. But I want you to notice, verse 23 and 24, that what happens when we pray, two things. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. What is the result of going and asking of the Lord? Well, number one, it says, He will give it to you. Here in verse 23, Jesus ushers in a new era. An era that the disciples no longer go to Jesus in the flesh for their request, but now they directly go to the Father because of the provision of the Son and through the prompting of the Spirit. But notice here in verse 23... There's those two words in the beginning. We've, we talked about this last week, and I'm going to revisit it real quick. It says, truly, truly. What is Jesus doing there? In the original language, it says, amen, amen, is where we get amen, amen. In your translation, it might say, verily, verily. When, Jesus uses these two words back to back like that 25 times in the Gospel of John. What is he doing? He's Nick Saban at practice, blowing his whistle. He is calling attention to what he's about to say. Jesus here is ushering in a new era, something very different than the disciples have never experienced before. Truly, truly, whistle blown. Can't whistle on the fly. I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing and ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. What is Jesus drawing their attention to? Quite simply, when they pray, it makes a difference. Let me say it this way. If you doubt that prayer makes a difference, then just look at the text with me. If you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. Why should we pray? Because of the Son's obedience, we receive, and I'll just say we receive answers received from the Father. Even if you truly doubt even if I could peel back the onion, even if I could really see what your mind and your heart would say, truly, prayer makes a difference. It is clear. Oftentimes, your view of prayer boils down to your view of the Bible. If you believe that the Bible is true, then you will believe that prayer really changes things. But I want you to think about the implications of verse 23, because this, this doesn't correlate. Verse 23 does not correlate to life. It seems to, at least. Because there are so many times in life that we have asked from God, and then we have not received. Right? Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. Is that true? You know, some prosperity gospel preachers take this and run with it. You know, they see John chapter 16, verse 23 as some kind of magical formula. You know, when I was a teenager, I asked for a Ferrari. I'm still waiting for it to be delivered. Anybody else in here want one of those when they were a teenager? True story, when I was a child, when I was like 10, 
I prayed every night that in Jesus' name, of course, because I thought it was some magical formula here, and I prayed every day that I would be an NBA basketball player in the fall. I mean, this is legit. A major league baseball player in the spring and a pro golfer in the summer. I should have prayed to be a professional weightlifter, okay? I'm not built to jump really high, okay? So what does Jesus mean? What does he mean by verse 23? If you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. This statement is, is troubling, In fact, it took me five commentaries for one person to actually answer the question. Only one of them was brave enough to even answer. In order to really understand what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 16, verse 23, because it seems not to correlate to life, we all have prayers that seem to be unanswered, at least from our perspective. So what we really have to understand this verse within the context of the upper room. John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, really helps us understand the context of what Jesus is talking about here. John chapter 14, verse 13 through 14 says this. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, that's helpful, but still confusing, Byron, some of y'all might be saying. But this week, I actually unpacked 1 John, and I saw this in John, 1 John chapter Five, and I'm having a hard time getting there for whatever reason. First John chapter five, verse fourteen says this. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Wait, what did I just say? This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So what is Jesus saying in John chapter 16 verse 23? He is basically saying that if you pray according to the will of God, if you pray that glorifies the Father, then he will hear and that he will receive it. He will answer your prayer if it is according to the will of God. So how should we pray? We should pray according to the will of God. But I'm going to say it this way. If we know truth and we walk by the Spirit, one of the things I've realized in life, the closer you are towards becoming like Jesus, the closer you are, your prayers become to glorifying and fulfilling the will of God. The closer you are to becoming like Jesus Christ, the more you'll see your your prayers be answered in amazing ways. But does prayer really make a difference? James chapter 5 verse 17 says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruits. James chapter 1 verse 3, But if any of you lacks some wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts... It's like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. If you lack, pray. If you're unsure, pray. If you do not know what to do, pray. Since the Bible is truth, then I am convinced, both biblically, theoretically, spiritually, that prayer does make a difference. And if you want to see visually... I think God always answers our prayers. Can I get an amen to that one? Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's yes, but oftentimes God is answering our prayers in ways that we just don't see. We just look beyond the answers of God. We don't understand how He actually answers our prayers because we are so busy with our calendars, so busy with our schedules. The Scripture tells us to pray. 
to pray on behalf in, in the name of Jesus Christ to the Father. Result number one of prayer is that we will receive. But then notice the second result in verse 24. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Why should we pray? Number one, we receive. Number two, we receive joy so that your joy may be made full. Because of the Son's obedience, we receive answers and joy when we pray. Prayer brings in joy. Result number two is joy, that your joy will be made full. That word made full in the original language in Greek is a passive Greek verb, which means that God is doing the filling when we pray. That when you pray to glorify God, when you pray according to His will, then our requests not only are fulfilled, but also we receive joy. And the joy here is, is, is the Greek word Joy is kara, but then the word made full here is plerao, which means replete, bursting forth, exploding. That when we pray according to the will of the Father to glorify the Son and to glorify His name, that joy that accompanies it is replete. Um, How many of us have ever been in a prayer meeting? that the result of that prayer meeting was that you fell asleep. Yeah. That's, yeah. Or, or that you act, acted like you're paying attention. But prayer should accompany joy. Joy should be there with us. Every time we pray together, every time we pray in silence, every time we confess our sins to the Lord, there should be a joy that accompanies, that is replete, that is bursting forth. Joy comes by anticipating the resurrection, return, and redemption through the grace of Christ and distributed when we bear fruit and when we pray. I'm going to say all that. That is a summation of the joy that I see in John chapter 16. Joy comes by anticipating the resurrection, the return, and the redemption through the grace of Christ and distributed when we bear fruit and when we pray. But, if I'm honest with you, the best part is still to come. Verses 25 through 28 is shocking in a lot of ways to his disciples. I want you to notice the text with me. First off, let's answer this. Why does the Father fulfill our request? If we ask and he re- we receive from the Father, why does he fulfill our request? Verse 25 of chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, literally Proverbs, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day, you will ask me in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. Why? Because I can go straight to the Father. Verse 27, For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father. I have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Verse 28 is kind of the summation of the Christmas season. He came forth from the Father into flesh. John chapter 1. In the flesh dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten. And then you see I am leaving the ascension. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. But I want you to notice with me one word in verse 27. 
I'm going to reread the context. In that day, you will ask me in my name, and I do not say to you, I will request of the Father on your behalf for... If you have a pen and you have a highlighter, or if you have a Kindle, however you're accessing this uh, text, I would encourage you to highlight that word for. It is the Greek conjunction gar. It signals an explanation. Why does the Father receive and hear us? For the Father himself. Notice that intensifier. For the Father himself loves you. If you ever doubt the love of God, this is evidence of it. If you're ever in the midst of circumstances that you cannot control, if you're ever convinced because of your life that God does not love you, this is evidence that he does. For the Father loves you because the reason why you have loved me and believed that I came forth from the Father, I came forth from the Father and come into the world, I'm leaving the world again and I'm going to the Father. Why should we pray? Number one, it's because we receive answers. Number two, we receive joy, even if you have not experienced that in prayer. That's what the text says. And then number three, we see that we have access to the Father. My entire, for a fancy word, uh, exegetical proposition is this. Because of the Father's love and the Son's obedience, we receive answers, joy, and access to the Father. Because of the Father's love and the Son's obedience, we have access to the Father. God not only sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to purchase my soul in full. Not only does God give me eternal life, and not only does God give me joy, but God even wants me to approach Him with requests. And praying to God is not like dropping a comment off in a comment box, but that you're approaching the very presence of God Friends, the veil is torn, the sacrifice has been made, love is proven, grace is provided, grace, mercy is given, and access granted to the very throne room of God. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what should we do? Because the veil has been torn, because we can access the Father, what should we do? We should pray. Verse 22 of Hebrews 10. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Because of the Son's obedience and because of the love of the Father, because of the provision of the Son and the prompting of the Spirit, we have access to God. When you don't understand life, when you don't know what God is doing, when you don't know why the circumstances are the way they are, pray. God the Father wants you to pray and to approach Him. Why? Because He Loves you. Can that ever get old? I mean, really? The Father's love for us is pure. It is endless. It is infinite. But I want you to see this passage through the eyes of the disciples. We understand, because we've probably been in church most of our lives here, if you come to Calvary Bible Church, we understand that we can approach God. But I want you to see 
this passage through the eyes of the disciples. Who is God to them? God is in His temple. He is unapproachable. As a matter of fact, only one guy, once a year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, can enter into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice on the mercy seat. That is God to them. He is not approachable. For only one man can approach Him on that one day that God, in a sense, is distant. And what is Jesus telling them? That Jesus is the high priest. That He has torn the veil. That sacrifice has been made. That they can approach God Himself. That no longer do they have to go through uh, the, the priestly sacrifices. But the sacrifice will be made. Friends, you today, you can approach God the Father because of the provision of the Son. The love of the Father allows us access to pray to Him. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth. The love of the Father not only gives us access to Him to take our prayers directly through Him, through the provision of the Son and the prompting of the Spirit, not only can we go directly to the throne room of grace, not only does the Father, the love of the Father provide that for us, but also provides us joy that pushes out sorrow, that fills us up, that when we pray, that when we behold Jesus Christ, that when we bear fruit, we can experience the joy that only comes from the Lord. The Father is not distant. He is near. You do not approach God through some kind of institution. You do not approach God through some kind of uh, tradition or through priests or through me, but you have direct access to Him to pray to Him. Just think about the mind-blowing access that they have to God the Father, the disciples, as they see Jesus saying this. I would imagine right here their jaw just kind of hits the floor because they no longer are distant from Him, but now they can know Him and pray to Him directly. Why should we pray? Because we receive answers, joy, and now we have access. Pray, expecting answers, joy, and access. But this week, I just, uh, this is nice, right? I mean, it's nice and theological and theoretical, and if I lost you, I'm sorry uh, today. Uh, but it's just a really theological passage when it comes to prayer and kind of the, what we have. But this week, I just, okay, I just paused. And as I was preparing this text, I, I just kind of said, okay, so what? You know, how does this apply to my life? What do I do with this? This week, what I'm going to encourage you to do, obviously, I'm going to encourage you to pray. The Father wants us to pray. The Father wants us to ask of Him, make requests, so we can receive joy and answers. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray every day this week. Every day this week, and I want you to pray for three things. They're on the back of your notes if you, want to, if you want to track along. This week, I want you to pray for three different things. I want you to pray for a direction. I want you to pray for an area of disagreement. And number three, I want you to pray for an area of discouragement. I want you to pray for direction. What is an area of your life that you need direction in? What is an area of your life that you need direction? And maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's you need direction in your marriage. Maybe you need direction on spiritually. How can you really get involved and make a difference and bear fruit? What is an area of your life that you simply just need the guidance of the Spirit to walk? 
What is an area of direction? Number two, what is an area of disagreement that you have with the Lord in particular? We all have things in our life that we didn't think it would turn out a certain way, right? I mean, if you live long enough, there are plenty of areas in your life where you say, Lord, I didn't think that my, my, my life would turn out this way. We have areas of disagreement. Just go to the Lord. Make requests before Him. You have access to the Father. And He loves you. And He loves you so much. Not only does He give you joy, but not only does He allow you to bear fruit, but He allows you to make requests and for you to receive. Is what the text says. Go to the Lord. If, you are, if there's an area that you're just like, Lord, why? You know, why did you allow this to happen? Maybe there's a, a sickness or an ailment in your life. Maybe your, your life didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. The Lord wants to know that. Go to Him. And then area number three is an area of discouragement. Thorns in the flesh. You think about Paul. What did he do when he had a thorn in the flesh? He went to the Lord and he prayed. And what was the Lord's answer? <laughs> no. Sometimes the Lord does not give us what we desire, what we want, but he always answers us, even if we do not see his answer. There are, um, I thought about this one in particular for me personally speaking, there are plenty of areas that encourage me, like you guys, and there are plenty of areas that discourage me. And I just went to the Lord and said, Lord, here is my discouragement. Here, here is what's bothering me. Here is my thorn in the flesh. Here is what Paul was saying and friends, I believe that the Father's love is pure, and I think it is selfless, and it is endless, and it is designed for you to approach Him with all of your requests. The question is not, has He provided you a way? The question is, will you take advantage of it? Will you pray? Will you access the Father? Will you seek answers? Will you seek guidance? Will you seek the joy that only God can truly give you? Pray, expecting answers. Pray. Very quickly, if you do not know Jesus Christ, if this sermon was a little alien to you, and accessing the Father, if you're new here, if you're tuning in online, whether that's in 30 years because it's on the internet, it doesn't delete. Um, whenever you're accessing this, I'll look a lot older in 30 years. Um, if you have never believed in Jesus Christ, I do this every Sunday morning. If you have never trusted in Him, if He has never changed your life, if you have never been born again, if you do not know what it means to walk with Him and have a personal relationship with Him, if you have been going through the motions your whole life, and, you've, and you, maybe you've gone to church a long period of time, but you've never received salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, if you have never surrendered your life to Him, He gives you the, the opportunity of eternal life and joy and a changed earthly life by faith in Him. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, when we pray, we go right to the throne room of grace. We go right to the Father. Lord, what a, what a mind-blowing message to these Jews that are in the first century that see this temple, Herod's temple sitting there. And Lord, they have access to the Father through the provision of the Son. Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of that. Lord, that we would not view you as a Father that is distant, but we would approach you with our requests, with our worries, with our stress, with our discouragement, with, with direction. Lord, I, I, I just pray for that. I pray that we would approach you Lord, I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. 
I thank you for those that are here. Thank you for so many that are sick right now, that are that are at home because of what's going on in the world. Thank, pray for them. Pray for those tuning in online. Thank you for those that are here. I thank you for your blessing and how your spirit wants to teach us all truth. May we walk in it. May we approach you. In Jesus' name.